But he, desiring to justify himself, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was out and about two weeks ago when I heard about the massacre at Tree of Life Synagogue. I came home and sat at my desk at my laptop for a few minutes and wrote a statement and pressed the send button to Andy Mull and Rich Crean and then I put on a collar and a clerical shirt. Betsy came home a few minutes later. She saw me in clericals and she asked, where are you going? She had heard about it too. I, I don't know, I said. I think I need to go somewhere. Well, where, she asked. I, I think I need to go to Rodef Shalom. I need to see if they're all right, if Aaron Bisno is all right, but I don't know. She said, well, you know, there's a rumor that they are locking down synagogues, but if you think you should go, then you should go. I said, that's right, I should go. So I'm going. She said, go, go. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I got there, there were only a few cars in the parking lot. There were two police cruisers near the door, but when they saw me, they waved me in. I kissed the mezuzah at the entrance. I went upstairs and saw the receptionist who stood up as I came. She looked sad. I shook her hand. I'm so sorry, I said. I'm so sorry. She said, thank you. Thank you for coming. I asked, is the rabbi around? She said, yes, he's in the dining room. We had a naming ceremony today. He's with the family. They're having lunch. I know he'd love to see you. So I went in. And there were about 30 people gathered at tables. They were, they were conversing and they were celebrating, but in a sort of sober way. And they were weeping and they were checking their news feeds. And at the far end of the room, there was Rabbi Bisno cutting the cake. He looked up and saw me and said, Dorsey, good God, you've come, you're here. He strode across the room, and before I could say anything, which was good because I didn't know what to say, he wrapped me in a bear hug, kissed me, and said, thank you for loving us. Thank you. And then he said, did you eat? <laughs> Have you eaten yet? You should eat. Here, the chicken is good, and the eggplant. You've got to definitely try the eggplant. So he filled my plate and he got a napkin and utensils and he sat me down at his table next to him. And as I took all this in and before I could say anything, Aaron said again, it's good you're here. Thank you for loving us. How is Betsy? How is Evan? And we talked for a bit and then just sat together with everyone for a while. And when it was time to go, the rabbi introduced me to the family of the little girl at the center of it all, the reason for the feast that day, whose name may she be remembered forever. Is 
wait for it, Giovanna Rossellini Fiorella Falcon. <laughs> Such a nice Jewish name. <laughs> Rabbi Sharon said, from this day on, she'll also be known as Rachel. <laughs> I congratulated her parents, and when it was time to go, I was sent out the door with the biggest piece of carrot cake for my wife. <laughs> because I happen to mention it's her favorite. You see how this works in the kingdom of God? You go out thinking you are being sent to offer the ministry of consolation, and instead you are the one who is being consoled. You believe you are the one binding up the brokenhearted and discover it is your heart being healed. You assume that you are bringing Christ to the world, and what you discover is Christ has been in the world all along unnoticed by you, not waiting for your permission, not needing your blessing, but showing forth sovereignly the face of Jesus wherever in this life the marks of his cross are found, and particularly in the sorrows and the sufferings of those whom Jesus calls neighbor, even though we may balk at doing so and whom he commands us to love as Christ loves us. I went to Rodef expecting to prove neighbor to Aaron and found that Aaron proved neighbor to me. It seems that all of Jesus' teaching and work moves us into a deeper understanding of this question and its answer asked by this lawyer who was just trying to win an argument with him, like me half the time. Who was my neighbor, he said. And the reason we left it hanging in this gospel reading, rather than going on to the story we also know, know so well, is to underscore the full scandal of the question. Because what is important for us is not how Jesus answers it for the lawyer, but how he answers it for you, for me. And the fullness of that answer becomes frightening, my friends, when you pile into it the other things Jesus says, expanding Luke 10, as Raymond Bonwell pointed out with Matthew 5, love not only your neighbor, but love your enemy, until you realize that when he says neighbor, he means absolutely everyone. The friend, yes, but the stranger also. The acquaintance, of course, but the enemy as well, perhaps especially the enemy. So I can love Rabbi Bisno because he is so easy to love, and I've loved him for years. But could I love those who hate him? How could I prove neighbor to Robert Bowers? Could I bind up the wounds of the one who would hate me for even coming near? And could I believe that such a person might hold the key to my own healing? These are tough questions, but let's take it a little farther. The question, 
who is my neighbor then becomes pretty easy to answer and we could just try it right now. I'd ask you all just to relax. You're in a safe place. Close your eyes. Let me read you a few names. And as I do so, I'd like to ask you to note in the split second you hear each one, the impulse in you of attraction on the one hand or aversion that you feel. Are you ready? Here we go. Your dog. Sorry, that was a control. <laughs> Let's move on. The cop who gave you a ticket last week, or last month, or last year. The nurse who saved your mother's life. Donald Trump. Your mother. Your mother-in-law. St. Francis, Pope Francis, Nancy Pelosi, Kelly Ann Conway. Have we done enough? You can open your eyes. Did you notice how it's almost impossible to suppress that burst of warmth or bitterness as we consider those we think are our neighbors, would like to be our neighbors, we wish we could limit our neighbor to, and those whom Jesus calls his neighbor and declares they must be ours as well. The author of the letter to the Ephesians paints this situation in such vivid colors it is impossible to ignore. He's very smart. He's addressing a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles, and at first you think he's saying, what a good thing it is that the Gentiles have woken up and joined the covenant people through the cross of the Messiah. But then you realize what he's actually saying is, you know, we're all in the same boat. All are broken by the dividing wall of hostility. That little dark impulse we just felt grown into a full dark flower the wall that separates us not just from each other, but from God and his good news is it takes the blood of the cross to get rid of the wall. And that has happened and the wall is gone. Now why the cross is pretty mysterious and there are lots of ways of looking at it, but here is one for us today. The dark impulse towards the one we think of as our enemy, and I will speak for myself, is linked to a deep and very dark fantasy, which is this, if I can just get rid of that person and all persons like them, I will finally have peace. Can we get an amen? It's perfectly reasonable, my friends. It's completely mistaken, and it is absolutely deadly. It motivates nearly all bloodlust, whether against Jews or Muslims, immigrants or invaders, the rich, the poor, Democrats, Republicans, oh, just pick your enemy. And Jesus, God incarnate, says this, let me stand in their place. 
if you've got to take somebody's blood, take my blood instead, he says. Because it is the sacrifice that lasts forever. Once for all, let me do this for you and admit it's done, and then you will have peace. Now, there's only one catch. If you let me do this for you, you will never need to shed the blood of someone else, either literally or spiritually, just by saying nasty things about them to their face, rarely, to someone else, frequently, or in the quiet of your heart, almost all the time. You will never need to shed that blood or despise someone, nor will you actually be allowed the freedom to do that. But you will love them instead, as I loved you, even when you were enemies of God. Sometimes it takes time to get us through all of this mystery. When you think of the folks who most have troubled you in your life, sometimes we think that we have to forgive them in order to love them. But I would suggest actually the reverse is true. Maybe by the magnificent sovereignty and miraculous power of God, we begin to love them and through loving them gradually move into a place where we can forgive them. It's funny, as I was thinking about this, I thought of my prototypical enemy. It happened almost 60 years ago. His name was Kenny. I was in first grade, and he was a bully. And he used to torture me in the playground, and one day he went all the way. He cuffed me and knocked me about and tore my clothes, and I must have passed out because everything went dark. And the next thing I remembered was I was on my back looking up with a ring of children around me holding hands and staring down, and Kenny sitting on my stomach looking me in the face and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And instantly I thought, if you're so sorry, why don't you get up? <laughs> but then I said something which I didn't believe because I just didn't want him to start again. And I said, it's okay, it's all right. It's okay. And I heard the words come out of my mouth for the first time, I forgive you. And I didn't believe it. But it worked. And he left me alone. And I found that just about a week ago, it occurred to me that even though he might not have been saying that with his emotions, Maybe he was just saying it out of guilt or out of a desire to get everything over with. Nonetheless, the image of God in Kenny was weeping. And so sorry, so sorry. 
as I believe the image of God in Robert Bowers is so sorry, even though he cannot imagine, perhaps, what that would feel like. But perhaps, one day, he will. So the end result is this, friends. The enemy has become the neighbor for the simple reason that God has made that move towards us through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That is the source of our hope and the cause of our mission. So why not just stop fighting it and just accept this invitation to answer the question, who is my neighbor, each in your own way, with words something like this. The neighbor is the one we are too busy to know better until something terrible happens, or the one we hold in fear or suspicion, or the one we don't know yet, and the one we hope we will never know. And Jesus says unequivocally, do not be afraid. Go and find them. Because if and when we find them, we will find him. And where we find him, we will find life. In Jesus' name, amen.